32 counties. United by people. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines. Yes, this is United Ireland. Thank you very much. Oh, right. This is United- <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Yes, this is United Ireland. And it is a podcast where we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. Um, we are an indie podcast, uh, play guitar as you know yourself, uh, but we do need your support. If you like what you hear and have like three gorge euros a month, do pop over to our patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and pay for this podcast. And I know you, I do this all the time and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm actually going to do that today. And then I write my list and then I don't do it. Pop over there, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. And let's get this show on the road. Bitches. And also, if you are already a supporter, thank you so much. And if you're already a supporter and it's a new month and you've realized that maybe your debit card or credit card is now out of date and out of time, um, maybe pop over and make sure that your subscription is still ongoing. And if you are a subscriber, we hope you're back enjoying the Sunday Soothe because we're very much enjoying feeling soothed ourselves. This week, we're heading to Leitrim to see what's going on with people looking for gold in them, their hills. We'll be talking uh, to a campaigner from Treasure Leitrim who has serious concerns about the potential of a prospecting license being issued um, to look for gold in Leitrim. Uh, It is a really interesting discussion and something uh, that I think is really, really important when it comes to the great neoliberal sell-off of Ireland ongoing. Um, so yeah, stay tuned also, for that. I think it's really interesting in terms of our positioning of things that are in the earth as resources rather than actual nature, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but first, it's the State of the Nation. Una. Yeah. Tell us, what is your state of the nation this week? Well, I just, I know that there was a big hoo-ha over Eamon Ryan going to cop on 26 and um, his COVID test and everything. But part of me feels that it hasn't been dug into enough. And it's just because of my own confusion. And I think a lot of people feel like this as well, because cases are kind of in and around the three and a half thousand mark at the moment. But I think we all know, um, maybe this is like, especially pertinent to Dublin. Dublin has always been, uh, you know, at the heart of the pandemic, I suppose, in terms of the number of cases and it's to do with population density and housing and all that kind of stuff. But it feels like a lot of people are testing positive for COVID uh, thankfully, people aren't getting as sick because of the defences that the vaccine provides for. But I just thought it was there was a couple of parts of it that were kind of mad. First of all, this process by which you could get a second test from the HSE, which I didn't know was a thing, and also the how that actually transpired around Eamon Ryan's specific issue in that, um, you know, there was the HSE gave a gave a response to journalists that the testing lab, you know, it was a conversation between the testing lab and the person or whatever. I didn't know that you could talk to people in a testing lab. And then there was 
Eamon Ryan himself said, oh, actually, it was like the ambulance service people talked to his private sector or something. Like, how did that happen? And how, if you get one negative and one positive, you can then be like, oh, no, it's the positive one. So I was just very confused by that. I don't think it was explained properly. I think it confuses people who may be awaiting a PCR if they're a close contact or if they got a positive test, then, you know, the fact that there can be a subsequent negative one from the HSE is confusing. So I I basically just thought that was another comms messaging mess and I don't think it looked very good and I think it frustrated people, especially because we are getting into a phase of COVID where although a lot of people may not be getting as sick, the fear around um, contracting COVID has lessened because of the defences that the vaccine offers, yet loads of people are being really seriously disrupted because they're close contacts or because they're isolating or because somebody in their household has COVID or because they themselves have tested positive at this time. And that level of disruption is huge. And I don't think that we have developed logic and strategy and the practical aspects of organizing our lives around what that means, because the thing that we're not talking about, we're talking lots about you know, hospitalization and ICU and all that stuff is like super serious, but we're not talking about transmission as much. And if it is the case that even though you're vaccinated, um, obviously you can still transmit the virus and obviously you can still contract the virus. Where is that part of the what's next bit about the pandemic in terms of how we deal with that? Because that disruption around transmission because the vaccine doesn't hold transmission will just continue. So I'm, I'm really confused about where the next part of the plan is. And I think that something like Eamon Ryan's test hoo-ha cuts to that issue and also confuses people. So I just, I mean, I feel like it kind of should have been a bigger deal. I don't know. That's what I think. I missed it all. Delighted. (laughs) (laughs) Other random news is Jam Park in Swords is uh, obviously that was a club that shut down during the pandemic and apparently it's going to be turned into a e-sports broadcasting studio for a gaming company. I think it's Riot. Uh, And I just thought that was wild that that's now what's happening to cultural spaces. I guess it's still... Who needs to meet people and go out when they can just sit at home and have virtual fun in a... I know, yeah. Uh, What else is going on, Andrea? Uh, Richard Boyd Barrett and People Before Profit saved the trees in Enniskerry after uh, Quilter tried to sell off loads of trees. um, Loads of land, yeah. And land and um, a public land. And uh, RBB came out shouting and his shouting worked because they decided that even though the sale was at a very uh, far part far gone process that they would renege on it and not sell off our resources yeah a victory victory for people for profit and for people in general but also bizarre that you could just approach Quilcha, who are saying that forestry is agricultural land and they're going to sell, what was it, 36 or 39 uh, acres or hectares or something for a quarter of a mil, which sounds like a steal, by the way. Um, yeah, so well done to People Before Profit for that. 
Maybe we, well, sorry. Maybe we should buy some forest. <laughs> cool. That's uh, Sign up to our Patreon. And uh, <laughs> if we get a million Patreons, we'll start buying land. Um, speaking of buying land, uh, we have obviously spoken a lot about build to rent and development and the housing crisis and community building and all that kind of crack. Heinz, uh, who are a giant developer, fund folk uh, got the go-ahead for their development on Clonliffe Road in Dublin um, even though it contravenes the city development plan around height but of course a little a little person once upon a time there was a man called Owen Murphy and Owen Murphy was the minister and he made these ministerial interventions and decisions to change the national regulations meaning that city development plans and local area plans even if they set out what they want it doesn't matter because the developers get the go-ahead because the national regulations trump the local ones and so you're going to have big tower blocks uh, 70% of which are studio or one bed apartments build to rent. And we all know what happens when you build that kind of stuff in a place where there's an amenity crisis and the infrastructure isn't there. But of course, this is part of Fine Gael solving the housing crisis. This makes me very angry, Andrea. <laughs> there's also... It's like you had a Xanax there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, there's also the situation going on with the Devonese Gardens in Dublin 7. Obviously, very, very long uh, contacts there of a um, whole load of shenanigans. But the upshot of it is, is that uh, Bartra have that land. Uh, the councillors had voted to to for them to develop that land. Um, but now, of course, Bartra kind of doing their bits, one of which is on board Planola had a condition that the gaffs when they were built couldn't be sold off to institutional investors and on board Planola or Bartra are now contending that in court um, and saying that that's kind of overreach and, you know, they should be able to sell everything off in bulk to investors, uh, to investment funds. And it's just like, it's again this this conversation about the housing crisis that is completely shut down by, by people in Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil saying, no, we're just building houses and that's that. And it's like, why can we not have a discussion about what kinds of houses, who can actually own them? Why are you building stuff that individuals will be shut out of owning? Why are you building studio apartments when bedsits were outlawed? You know, why, 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 why is this happening? And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Adavanese there because they've already built or like nearly finished a bunch of um, the Dublin City Council public housing there, um, you know, which I have a lot of things to say about the architecture of it. Uh, but I suppose we're not allowed to talk about aesthetics either because we just need houses, 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 and nobody can get in the way now, even though people won't be able to own them. So that's the crack with that. Do you have any other nation state aspects? Oh, yeah. you've got you've got a lot of its bananas. So we'll wait until uh, we'll wait until then. Um, but now we're going to go to Leitrim, uh, a county that we have covered before on this podcast, with uh, in relation to the overforestation of non-native Sitka spruce and the impact of that on the environment and on um, different aspects of the topography of Leitrim. But now it's all about gold. 
So a few weeks ago, a group called Treasure Leitrim was formed when it emerged. A company called Flint Ridge Research was seeking a prospecting license, prospecting license for gold and silver in North Leitrim near Manor Hamilton. Um, campaigners in Leitrim really worked tire- tirelessly previously against fracking, you might remember. And the very important love Leitrim was very important in getting a bill that banned onshore fracking. Uh, through in 2017. But now it seems that this is another um, literally uprooting uh, threat to the county. Jamie Murphy is part of Treasure Leitrim and he's going to chat to us about what is going on. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Una. How are you? Hi, Andrea. Hi. Um, Can you tell us when you first heard about the potential for a licence to be issued for the prospecting? Yeah, it was about three three to four weeks ago. Um, there was a publication in the local paper here um, that somebody had spotted and just put it up on a local community Facebook page. And that's really where things started to snowball because, um, like you said there in the introduction, we, we as a community have, were well aware of the, the threat of extractive industries trying to get a foothold in the, in the community. So once this went up, things kind of escalated quite quickly. We um, an emergency meeting was held online with, with obviously with COVID restrictions, um, and it was a very well attended meeting for people in the community. A very very broad representation um, of people there, and we'd also brought in with us um, some of the members of the community in in Oma um, who were going through a similar struggle with, with the with the mining industry, and they were much further d- down the line than than we are. Um, but it was really, uh, I suppose, a briefing meeting to try and get our heads around what was being proposed for the area. And the more we heard and the more we read up, um, the more alarmed we became. So, you know, we heard kind of firsthand testimonies from uh, communities in Oma and the Save Our Sperrins group. Um, and they their their key message basically was to, to stop this industry before it started and that we still had an opportunity to do that. Um, because the prospecting license hadn't been hadn't been granted, so you know that's 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 what their key message was, and that's really what we've been doing for the past um, three weeks is, I suppose, educating ourselves about what's involved and the processes and how we can best mobilise um, to stop it as, as quickly as possible. Because we had sh- such a short time frame, you know, you're talking we had less than thirty days before we kind of realised um, what we were what we had to object to, you know, was a very, very short deadline for, for lodging objections. So since those last three weeks, last three or four weeks, it's really been just relentless um, work, voluntary work campaign on the ground, reaching out to all different parts of the community. We've we put together, re- like Manor Hamilton in particular, and Leitrim is, as well, is a, it's a very, it's a great, there's a great community spirit um, in, in Manor Hamilton in particular for, for us, um, and that came across in the fracking campaign as well, is that when threats emerge, the, the community does galvanise really effectively. And that's across all kinds of, we'd say, traditional divisions or, or lines. It's, you know, we, we had unanimous kind of cross-party support in the anti-fracking campaign. It was the same here. Mm. We have farmers, we had families, we've got... Um, you know, just people from every kind of different walk of life that were involved in the campaign, and we've mobilised again. Art, the artist, the artistic community is, is very, very prevalent in Manor Hampton as well. Um, so it, it's it's a it's a great kind of fusion of uh, of modern Ireland, I suppose, that we're we were able to to to, to come together again on this issue. Mm. And Before I, we get to the the kind of the activism piece and what you guys yeah. have to do, Jamie, like 
what what has led to Leitrim being a target for gold and silver prospecting and, and, and what's involved in that first kind of license is issuing? What does that actually mean in practical terms? Well, I mean, that's, I suppose, a question we've been asking ourselves as well the last few weeks. Leitrim um, seems to have been under siege you know, for the past while between fracking, for, um, unsustainable um, non-native forestry, Sitka Spruce is one of the most, one of the most heavily um, forested uh, counties in, in, in the country. Um, industrial turbines, fracking. Uh, now we had the gold gold mining industry trying to get in. So we seem to attract um, negative influences sometimes, or I'm not sure what it is, but I, I think sometimes it's a, it's a, there's a perception out there that um, maybe through historical factors of of depopulation, maybe that they think there's it, it's it's maybe a, um, a, a kind of a, a population that's scattered around the county that it might be it might be an easy target sometimes mm. um, for for companies come, that to come in that they don't think there'll be any resistance they don't think there'll be any community opposition I think that's a big part of it that it, there, there has been historically a low population but we've we've, we've shown over the last while that um, people can mobilise and you know we can take on major multinationals and win. And we, we set that example previously. Um, just in relation to what the, the steps are involved, um, there has been, a, there actually has been prospecting taking place here already before this new licence was issued. Um, another company, um, Oma Minerals, yeah. um, who relinquished their licence, and but they had actually done prospecting, but it was right in the middle of our anti-fracking campaign. So it kind of went under the radar but they have reconstituted themselves now as Flintridge Resources. And it's the same individuals involved, the same, predominantly the same shareholders, people on, on, in, in, in the company. So they've repackaged themselves and they're part of a, an overall um, bigger multinational Galantis uh, Canadian company um, who were involved in OMA as well. But I suppose the, 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 the line that we've been getting from um, when we've raised these issues, sometimes from the government and from the department, Imran's department is, it's a kind of a patronising attitude, as in, oh, don't be worrying yourselves. It's only prospecting. It doesn't mean it's mining. Uh, sure, look, it's only isn't there only people going out taking a few samples of soil out on the ground or in, in fields? It's it's nothing invasive. It's non-invasive. There's no drilling. There's no boreholes, and it's a very benign process. And that might technically be true, but we know where prospecting licences lead to. This company isn't going for a prospecting licence for the good of its health or for the good of our health. They're doing it because they've identified from previous work done by um, their former incarnation as a company in Oma, Oma Minerals. Um, we know that they've identified gold um, in the area. It's not about silver. It's not about under, other base metals. It is about gold. And that's the business this company has been involved with um, in all, you know, and their parent company. They, they, they predominantly are involved in gold. So any anybody else saying that it's something else it, it's not true and we know from the TELUS survey uh, that was done this region um, about five or six years ago as well um, th there was a lot of ge geological work or geomapping of, of the area and again they've accessed that information so they have a lot of work done already um, so we're, we're probably further on the down the process than we think mm. um, but we prospecting licences lead to other licenses and they you know the fracking campaign which went on for 10 years started with a a, a pro prospecting license which again people were told oh it's nothing it's just very simple and it's not going to do anything and that that put people in our area into a long-term campaign for about 10 or 11 years 
um, at huge personal cost um, and professional cost because people were working con- constantly on it until thankfully we got our ban in 2017. Um, and we, we as a community and no community should have to go down that road again. It's so it's so predictable and it's, it's so transparent what's going to happen. If this community gets their foot, feet on the ground, they're going to be here for the long haul. And we, unfortunately, then would have to have bear the, the consequences of that. And I mean, there's there's lot, there's wider implications as well in relation to CETA. And I, um, I, I'm not going to go too much into depth in that, but as a Canadian company as well, if if, if Ireland ratifies CETA, um, then we're even under more threat because if we decide if this prospecting license is granted, and maybe two or three years down the line, whatever government is in place decides I'm not going to move forward with it or or whatever it might be, then the company could end up suing under. Yeah, they can sue the government. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly. just such a crazy aspect of CETA that people don't yeah. talk about enough. I think. Yeah, yeah. So um, that, that's a, that's a very very real implication as well uh, further down the line. What is the logic about granting prospecting licenses if it's said that it's not going to necessarily lead to a mining license? Because they're obviously very different. But I don't understand, especially if it was Eamon Ryan's department that gave it, that is giving the prospecting license. Why would you give it if it's not for the end use of mining? Exactly. That's what we're asking ourselves. And that's why we're asking Eamon Ryan, because that's the, that's the response we get back all the time is it's just a prospecting license. So we we know we know why they're doing it. We and we we can't understand why any minister like we're talking about mining is is one of the most destructive extractive industries in the world, in particular gold mining, and is a huge emitter of of carbon emissions. It's it's off the scales, you know, in, in the mining industry in gold in particular. And we we just can't understand the logic that while they're while you know governments are and, and activists are discussing in Glasgow COP26, you know, we're we're talking literally about the collapse of biodiversity and ecosystems and you know humanity and the world we live in yet we're still giving companies an incentive or a little nudge that maybe you might be welcome here if you do things right you know you you, you know we can do a bit of mining in particular for gold there's enough gold already mined around the world to meet supply for the next 500 years there there's there is no logic in this there is no long term sustainable jobs um, in the industry, it, it will potentially displace other already existing um, industries in 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 places like you know we'll say tourism, sustainable agriculture. That was that was the case in Oma. There was a couple of factories I can't remember the name, but they, but they had left once the company got a foothold there. So we we just we cannot understand this on any level. It's it's a it's a it's a destructive industry. It destroys the landscape. It, it threatens our our water supply. And if anyone wants to see, I suppose, first-hand testimony. It's, it's, it, it, if you watch, there's, there's a spotlight programme from BBC that um, looked at communities in Oma and what happened, what is happening there and still is happening. And you'll get a real shocking insight into the destruction that, that, that's, that this industry can cause if it's given any incentive to come in. So we cannot understand this on any level whatsoever um, in relation to... I suppose to the-, the only flip side on it is natural resources. We're going to make money. You're going to be a rich county. Yeah, well, at what cost? Be, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, there might be a small handful of people that will get rich of this, but it's not going to be people in this area. It's yeah. going to be their, their their shareholders and their investors, um, and that's what's going to happen. And that, they they will use that argument. That's what this industry does. Whether it's the oil and gas industry or mining, they will do that. They will come in with offers of they will try and split the community. They will offer money to local clubs, sports clubs, organisations. 
and they will try and get people on side. And that's what's happening in Oma. We, like we're, we're literally, you know, less than an hour away from this happening already um, on the island. And, you know, we have to see that for what it is. Now, thankfully, thankfully on a local level, we've got excellent support from, um, unanimous support from our local politicians, you know, across all parties and independents who unanimously voted to call in Ryan not to issue this licence. So when you, when you look across um, the opposition that's built here, um, we've had, it, it's just, it's just, it's, 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 it's sad in some ways. And someone made the point we were talking the other day that we're coming together to unite against something negative. And imagine if we were allowed to put that energy into something positive in the area and get people together. You know, we've had people signing objections at the local mart, um, um, at GA matches. Um, my mother-in-law brought objections into her active retirement group and got them signed. Um, it's just it's it's just across all ages and um, walks of life that are opposing this. Um, so we, we, we just hope that Eamon Ryan will listen to, to, to all the voices because there's no voices coming out in favour of this. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen one person yet. Um, um, and, and the, the visual and the, the, the mobilisation we've had so far, I mean, we, we, we've only been going for three weeks, but the impact we've had has been, I think, huge. And we can't really do much more to try and stop this. So it's really down to Eamon Ryan and it's his decision. Um, he can stand with all the people in our community uh, or he can stand with the mining industry. It's a very clear choice. Um, we had it confirmed by his own department that he doesn't, he isn't obligated to issue these licences. Um, it is very much his choice. So we'll be watching with, with great interest. And, you know, we as a community, we don't, you know, we, we, we don't get paid for this. We don't have the, the expenses or the, the, the salaries of the, maybe some of the governments or the, the, the companies involved. But we have, we're, we're really rich in community spirit. And if we, need to, if we need to keep fighting this, we will fight it. And, you know, we will win like we have before. Um, because Jenny, like, what's what's the status of the license right now? Like, what's going? What what happens next? Well, I I'm not. Well, the objection deadline just passed on Sunday, and now it's really down to the minister and his department, I think, to assess the the objections gone in, the content in them, um, and just to I, I then then to make a decision really on whether it's granted or not. I'm not sure what the exact timeline is on that. If it's weeks or months I, I I just haven't had time to to focus on that yet but um whatever happens even between now and then you know we're still going to maintain pressure um on him and Ryan and and the government as a whole because you know the, the, this decision is, hasn't been made you know we we we're not out of this yet and it's you know it, it, what what the decision is made is going to dictate really how a lot of our lives are going to be for the next while because um, if he grants the license, we're facing into a long-term campaign. If he doesn't, then great, that's a victory. And it's it's a it's a signal then to other communities because it, this isn't just about Beecher. This is about mm. this is about where we want to go as a as a as a country. Um, because there's huge um parts of the island of Ireland that are actually under prospecting licenses already or uh, potentially under prospecting licenses. I think it's about I I roughly about 30 percent so it's a huge um land area uh, of the country that's under threat so we you know we have we have to try and 
show the government that we don't have to go down this route. We don't, you know, mm. you do, you do, you, there, are, there are choices to be made here. You don't have, you don't have to do this. Mm. Um, you know, how, how it, can other people around the country help or support you guys in Leitrim? What can people do? Well, I suppose um, they can they can reach out to their their national politicians, especially if you've got TDs from the government parties. Um, but reach out to any um, T- TD in your local area, your councillors, whatever it might be, um, and ask them to, to reject the license. But also to maybe do a bit of investigation in your in your own communities and find out is there any similar um, licenses being proposed or already granted in your area? Because they, they, they might well be. And maybe they just slipped under the radar or were just in the back of the, the local paper with the plan permission notices, whatever it might be. You know, just educate yourself about this industry because it is destructive. It, it will damage communities on, on very many different levels. And if we're if we're genuine about moving away as a country to a more sustainable future, um, we can't we have to move away from these licenses. There's no there is no um, justification for them on, on any level. Um, so educate yourself. Get active, get organised. Um, you know, it's it, this isn't about just our campaign. Look into your own areas, and you know, start speaking up. And and and, and education is a big thing. You know, once you kind of dig a little bit, pardon the pun, but, but if you once you start reading up a little bit on on what what these industries involve, it's it's quite frightening. And we have to learn from people in the global south who have gone through this and are going through it. Um, we have it on our doorstep already in in Oma. Um, and we're trying to st- stop it here. So, you know, if we can if we can get Eamon Ryan to not issue this license, then we're, we're showing again that anyone can do it. Once we have, you know, once you've got a you know community behind you, you're getting mobilised and organised. Um, you can win. You know, these people have shareholders and you know massive resources, but that doesn't guarantee that they're going to get into a community. And if you're organised properly. And, and know what you're talking about and, and, and can make the arguments, then you, you can stop it. But it is about getting organised and just being aware of what, what's happening. Jamie Murphy from Treasure Leitrim, thank you so much for filling us in on that and uh, sending you lots of good vibes and solidarity. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Now, Andrea, from the mines to the sea, What's getting in the sea? Well, my getting in the sea very much connects to your state of the nation. So I feel like we're on the same level um, because my getting in the sea is the fact that we're ignoring so many mitigating factors when it comes to COVID. So we're so focused on vaccination, vaccination, vaccination that antigen testing has been essentially called snake oil. Not essentially, it was literally called snake oil. Um, And why we're ignoring the use of antigen testing and the role that antigen can play, especially in schools. Uh, Why ventilation is still not on the the conversation calendar and track and trace is not uh, being utilized. And that goes back to how we're going to get past the the kind of like how it's um, not destructing, how, what was the word? The disruption. Disruption. Thank you. Long weekend. My use of words is uh, challenged. Um, So, yeah, I like the fact that we're just um, saying, well, we're vaccinated, we're vaccinated. And that's that's great. It's just not enough. And if we we need to get this shit together and why 
why schools are not antigen testing is like the most banana thing to me in the whole world. Also, the way like government and politicians uh, keep going, yes, we're considering antigen testing for this now and antigen testing may play a role. And there's no recognition of the fact that loads of people, myself including, have, myself included, have been using antigen tests for like over a year. And they're still talking about them as, as if they're this like novel thing they're going to introduce for people. And look, I get it that antigen testing can't be relied on all the time. But if it's if 80% of that works, that's 80% more than we have mm. working. And like, I think people are t- making up their own rules for antigen that like you're using antigen as kind of maybe a check-in and if it, and then which can lead to you going for a PCR test if you're symptomless. So if people are doing that anyway, why is it not part of what we're asking people to do across the board. It's just like the fact that we're not doing that can absolutely get in the sea. Yeah. And people are um, kind of using their own peace of mind kind of stuff or, or taking responsibility themselves. Like, as you say, yeah. Like literally everyone who's gone clubbing is going, is using, doing an antigen test like Monday and Wednesday and Friday. So like you're doing three antigen tests a week to make sure that you're, you're staying safe as much as you can. Um, also getting in the sea this week, <laughs> like, Countries around the world are banning um, international investors and buying up their cities and whatever. And we, lovely Ireland, are going on an international roadshow for investors, flat out trying to get them on board to buy up more of our um, shit. Uh, this was debated in the Dáil with Mary, um, Miriam Lord. has a very funny piece about um, the Mary Lou drinking game about her speeches and how you like drink with every cliche or whatever. And she was saying that Michael Martin was like, there is no roadshow, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, cookie funds, cookie funds. But like, it just seems, it just seems bananas. (laughs) Like, I don't know what is going on. Anyway, sorry, we'll talk about this later. I'm having a real kind of moment about Ireland this week. Um, I think everyone has. Everyone is literally like, how is this real life? How is this happening to us? And why, uh, how are we, we're being gaslit left, right and centre by our government. Like they're literally gaslighting us going, we're going to sell that. We're going to sell that. You're going to pay taxes and you think you're getting electricity. No, that's going to data (laughs) centre. And then you like, there's gold there. Yeah, we're going to dig that up and give it to like tr- this company in Toronto to take and they can get to have the profits. Fuck you and your grand litrum. Like, it's it's very frustrating. Mm. Uh, speaking of that, it's time for things along a similar te- theme. It's bananas. Give me the fights. Oh my God, I like that. I literally just have loads of things I'm annoyed about this again, don't I? So firstly, um, it's absolutely bananas. I can't get my head around it now. I will put my hands up and say that I haven't delved deep into it. But our transport plan, um, while we're engaging in COP on 26, while we're talking about our environmental future, how we've just actually decided that we're not actually going to have any upgrade to our transport links. Like trains? <laughs> no, sorry, Bob, not for you. Uh, will we give people free 
bikes no electric vehicles will we um do anything that will help uh active transport get better mm, no too many people give out about cycle lens none of them for us uh well how long will we put off these plans what about 2070 oh that sounds good that's like <laughs> 50 years away well i mean it is the guts of a decade i agree with you completely this is one of the things, like especially the like, we're not going to build any tram, new tram lines for a decade. They should be flat out building tram lines all the time. Just build the tram lines. Like when you look at this kind of stuff, you're just like, I don't know. Sometimes you just think that Ireland is run by like a cat in an empty office, just like playing with the ball of wool or something. It's like, but like how how is it always just like, do you know what we're going to do? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> How about, how about nothing? Has anyone said why it's been put off? That's what I was trying to figure out. I don't understand why, like obviously costs are rising, but like I've got a, I've got some news for you. Costs are going to continue to rise because everything's going to get more scarce because we've utilized every resource that's in our grounds already. Yeah. Um, so until we start figuring out how to not demolish things and how to maybe like refurbish them and reuse things and how to remake things, um, instead of just shoving shit off to like a desert to rot. How are we ever going to do anything? That's ridiculous. Like uh, I just, I just don't know what we're meant to do. Also, I hate the, um, the electric car conversation. Obviously, fuck fossil fuels. We need to stop that. But this whole thing that the Green Party are like, we need a million electric cars on the road. It's like, how is that sustainable? Why can't we have a million less cars rather than a million more cars? Yeah. I don't where, know. Like, I am sick of hearing about electric cars. Where the fuck does electricity come from, you saps? That's what I want to know. Also, I think with the transport plan, like this is the specific to Dublin one where they're like, yeah, we're not going to do the Dart Metro and there's going to be no trams for a decade. And sure, by then we'll all be floating down the road on sheets of Kingspan with the, everything burning around us. But um, uh, with the whole kind of so, like uh, uh, they're saying they're focusing on like more bus routes and more pedestrian stuff and more bike stuff right that is good however bikes and unless it's electric bikes which are also great you know go buy that and you can do you spin in your 10k or whatever uh, into work <clears throat> but people can't afford to live in the capital so pedestrian routes and bike routes while they are fantastic. It's it's not a fix all for everyone. Like I have a bike and I cycle everywhere. I don't drive. I don't have a car. And I that's fine for me. I live in the city. Do you know what I mean? I it's can't easy. ride a bike. Well, yes, this is an ongoing. Who's going to address that issue for me? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just think that like you can't say to loads of people, just cycle everywhere, even though everybody should be cycling. Like that's not viable for a lot of people, you know, and and you, Andrea, who, who, who has yet to uh, embrace the magic of bike riding. But yeah, I just think it's it's just it just feels so bananas. And also it's like, oh, yeah, no pedestrianization stuff. It's like, how is that going to be done when people literally had to protest for basic pedestrianization stuff and where I'm from, Dean's Grange, the businesses just went, no, we don't want cycle lanes. And, you know, if kids want to 
be going down some gauntlet of buses and cars on their way to school. Well, you know, we have to have parking outside our shop. And it's like ridiculous. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just think that we should have, we used to have loads of trams everywhere. Why don't we just keep building tram lines? There should be tram lines being built all the time. And that's actually green infrastructure, you know. Where do you get the steel for them? Aha. Well, like (laughs) (laughs) next on my It's Bananas list, Sean Quinn's family deleting their history online. (laughs) Sorry, excuse me. How is that real life? How was that led? This is the right to be forgotten that you can do with Google. The right to be forgotten, but also we're paying 2%. You can tell I've just read headlines. We're we're paying 2% um, levy charges on their history that they've deleted on their 10,000 euro cakes, etc. 100,000 euro wedding cake. 100,000 euro. What? The cake was 100,000 euro. I'd say it was stunning. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, go on. Uh, it's it's bananas. Uh, in another, it's bananas. Um, this is actually kind of good news. So I, I don't think it's bananas, but I think um, ICCL took a case against online consent pop-ups used by Google and other tech firms, and they have been declared illegal. So don't you know when you go on, we're like, can we track you? Can and you're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. To use the it, well, they're actually illegal, so they're going to be stopped. Bananas that they were alleged, but yeah. Oh wow, illegal. that's amazing. It's huge, 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 absolutely bananas that it was the case in the first place. But yeah, props to ICCL, delighted for them. And then finally, in my It's Bananas news, uh, DCC were, Dublin City Council were given um, a budget of 100 grand to uh, distribute uh, uh, period products. Uh, 100 grand in 2019 and they spent nine and they weren't quite sure about how much they actually spent it was around nine but that accurate figures should be available in 2022 that's bananas why didn't they spend why didn't they spend the money uh you know covid and shit yeah that is kind of a catch-all excuse for everything Oh my God, why do I have to order my dinner from a table, from a QR code while I'm like, while you're standing beside me? Oh, COVID. Yeah, there's a lot. Why do I have to do this now? Oh, COVID, fuck off. There's an awful lot of um, automation at the end, like uh, machine work that has come in through the back door of the pandemic, hasn't there? I was in the cinema last night and... um, used to have this joke with Sarah that like I would always, this Cineworld in Parnell Street, I would always like scan the barcode on the booking and it would never, ever work. But I just wanted it to work uh, at the machine. And I'd always end up putting in the booking reference. And then last night uh, we were going to see Spencer. And um, (laughs) it's the worst film that's ever existed in the whole world. (laughs) um, I scanned the barcode and it worked and the tickets came out and I was like, see, Sarah, it works. And she just kind of looked at me and she's like, yeah. And now there's nobody selling tickets. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. That's why I always go to the person when I'm doing my grocery shopping. Yeah, me too. But now there's no, there's no even uh, ticket counter at Cineworld and Parnell Street anymore. It's just like four machines. <sighs> okay. Now uh, it's time for our fave bits.
Andrea, chock full of fave bits. Chock full. Finally, the tides have turned. My life has gotten better again. I've got some fave bits. Uh, I'm going straight to video tonight. Sweating to see it. Oh yeah, fab. The reviews are all fab and I can't wait to see it. So it's in the project, opened in the project last night. In I go this evening. Can't wait. This is Emma Um, Kerwin's new play. Yes, with uh, This Is Pop Baby. Uh, is it This Is Pop Baby? Philly directed. Philly McMahon Philly. from this is, this is Pop Baby directed it, yeah. And it's set in a video shop in the 1990s in Tala. And it is hilarious. Woo! And I would recommend going as you are. In your I spent a lot of my time in video shops in the 90s in Tala. <laughs> well, you know, you may even feel part of the play in funny way. Perfect. Um, I am just back from Warehouse Project, uh, how my block was on at the weekend. It is the best place in the whole world that's ever existed apart from Burgoyne. It's like, I just can't, I know I never talk about this stuff much, but (laughs) I just can't say how good it feels to dance with 10,000 people in a giant warehouse. um, In Manchester. in Manchester with drag queens running around you and everyone just living their best life. Fat Tony playing tunes and Honey Dijon being an absolute queen. It was just unbelievable. Um, What they've done with Warehouse Project is so phenomenal. And the fact that we don't have a space like it in Dublin or Ireland, I lament it all the time. And what a different world it could be. Because the thing that stood out to me was we went in at 4 p.m., and went home at 2 a.m. and had our fill. And it's just so funny how much we're left gagging in Ireland when you go in, like things only open at 11 and close at half two, that you're literally just going and then you have to go and talk shit somewhere um, rather than getting to dance for and get your fill and wear yourself out and, and like actually get the joy of what that dancing provides. Mm. So, And also just, that it's right in the middle of the city. I went home a block in 2019 and for people who haven't been to the new incarnation of Warehouse Project, like it's a massive old train depot in the centre of Manchester that has been turned into a massive club, basically a cultural space. And yeah, what an amazing use of of space in a city. Um, that's And it also show, goes to show that like when it comes to putting on big dance music, a a large, large scale dance music event in the public realm um, (laughs) that that you don't need to have these like ridiculous, flashy, um, you know, cringy fit outs with like ridiculous furniture and things like that. I mean, obviously the production values are amazing, amazing lighting, amazing lighting, amazing fireworks in the venue. It was insane. You're literally standing there and these rockets going all over the place. <laughs> wow. So the production values are awesome around like sound, oh, lighting, staging, insane. but you don't need like um, something to look like, you know, what Soho House looked like 10 years ago to be called a bar. No, you definitely don't. You definitely don't. And it just shows you, you don't have to knock down everything if it's approaching dereliction that it can have many very functional uses and warehouse project is full every week like they're like 10,000 people are going there every weekend we should have kept all of the warehouses around the docks and just had rave city (gasps) rave city Mm. 
Anyway, speaking of raves, and we should put here. in some little like dream music there for like <laughs> rave city. Uh, City uh, continues as Crystal Clear is doing his homecoming show all night long in Centrepoint, which is the new name for the Button Factory on Saturday night. Um, so all night long from 11 till late. Um, no, it's actually earlier, but, you know, it's not. It's a shorter time than whatever. Wow, that's a really good thing. Next up. Uh, native cabins I'm obsessed with the journey they're on they are um, questioning what tourism is and how it can be sustainable by building these very sustainable uh, cabins and they are also have looked at like the heritage of furniture and are and have kitted them out based on like old ways of producing chairs and you and linen made in Ireland and everything. You should definitely follow them on Instagram for their journey of what's happening. And if you're into sustainable uh, tourism, because they plant trees for every booking that's made in the cabins as well. So you going on holidays is creating a forest. Where, just where are the cabins? They are West Cork or something, is it? West Cork, yeah. But they're not they're not open yet. They're like just on their journey. So right. uh very excited. Um Crazy Pea Sound System was just announced for Pig. Very excited. Another little cute rave. Um and my fave bit Vin Diesel made a plea to the rock on Instagram uh, to say, come on, man, we need to get the team back together for fast and furious 10 because you're part of this man. We can't do this without you because they obviously had a big scrap. Yeah. They had a massive falling out apparently. Yeah. And then Vin Diesel is trying to make it up to him to get him back for, for fast and furious 10. And then somebody suggested that the name for fast and furious 10 should be, Fast 10, your seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still haven't seen the most recent one because you cheated on me and went to see oh. it yourself. And then in protest, I accidentally then forgot to see it in the cinema. Oh, I'm absolutely raging for you because it's so ridiculous. Um, another fave bit, Daddy's One Best Cafe. Whoop, whoop. whoop. Uh, Pullum is a listener of our pod. So fair play to you, Gubnet. Um, delighted. Uh, it's just such great news. This is Daddy's, Ca- Daddy's Cafe in Rialto and D8. If you haven't been or if you're visiting Dublin, check it out. It is stunning. Uh, I also loved watching, I wasn't there, but Gemma Dunleavy had all the crew from her uh, neighbourhood on stage at the Academy for her performance of Up the Flats. And it was absolutely whoop over. And finally, House of Gucci premiere. Gaga looking unreal. Sweating to go and see that film. Jesus Christ, I can't wait. It's It really is going to be great no matter what. No matter what. like And as she said, we made art. We made art out of trauma. Okay, Gaga, who are you trying to be? You're really going for that Oscar. And as she also said, in the name of the Father, the Son, 
and House of Gucci. <laughs> oh my God, I'm pissing. Okay, my fave bits. I mentioned this last week, um, Tyga Sullivan's new film, To the Moon. And I went to see it, it at a screener in the IFI and it's gorgeous. It's like this just really interesting Irish art house film that's kind of more like a visual poem just about the moon and how deadly the moon is. So if you're a fan of the moon, like I am, uh, I would... That feels like something that has a herbal journey before it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the, the, anyway, whatever. To the moon, it's called, um, and it's, it's, it's really lovely. Okay. So, you know, obviously if you are a longtime listener to this podcast, you will understand myself and Andres penchant for Fast and Furious and, I've kind of spun off or spun out, as it were, were I driving a race car, uh, to broadening my horizons and generally consuming as much um, film and television about uh, fast cars as possible. Um, and I recently watched Rush, Ron Howard's film from 2013, about the rivalry between Nicky Lauda and James Hunt. Is that his name? The British racing driver? I think it is. Um, it's one of those films that I kind of missed. It's on Netflix and I really enjoyed it. So if you're missing Drive to Survive, if you're awaiting the new season, if your pod wife cheated on you and went to see Fast 9 without telling you, or if you miss Hyperdrive on Netflix, the very, very underrated Charlie's Theron produced boy racer reality show competition, boy and girl and other racer, um, then I would take a trip back to 2013 and indeed to the 70s, and go see Rush. Uh, My other fave bit, Lethal Dialect has a new album out, or it's out in the 17th, I think, called Songs of a Dead Dreamer. Um, Big Lethal Dialect fan, but one of my favourite aspects of this new album, and I ordered it yesterday, is that it comes with a deck of Lethal Dialect tarot cards. Fab. And it kind of got me thinking, Andrea, that I know one of our most um uh t- one of our most talked about episodes uh was our tarot of the 2020. Somebody actually mentioned that to me at Howard Block in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> well, you so one of our most talked about episodes was our 2021 by-election tarot episode. <laughs> Which when I sound it now, it's like, wow, we were uh, on a tip back then. Um, but I was thinking, wow, we must come up with, we must get on to Tarot Queen and Noted Witch, uh, Sarah Marie Griffin, about what other kind of tarot, um, what tarot aspects we could bring into the podcast. So maybe we maybe we need one for uh, our, around our new year coverage and what the new year could bring. So that could be a vibe. Or he might just keep it exclusive to elections. I don't know. Um, my other fave bit is Other Voices is on the way. Maybe we could get her to do tarot cards for the future of our transport in Ireland. That's very specific. But but maybe. Okay. Um, like, okay. Uh, this is... This yeah, like it, it might give us a clearer indication than anyone else can. <laughs> It'll just be loads of empty cards and like people, <laughs> you know, scrabbling around a dump. Um... Other Voices is on the way down and Dingle, back with an audience uh, at the end of the month. And 
one part of other voices is usually the music trail where there's loads of music and gigs in pubs that can't happen this year because of the guidelines around live entertainment in pubs however uh, they have come up with a safe and handy and deadly way of actually showing live music outside of the church as well so doing a bunch of gigs at the Hillgrove nightclub uh, one of the one of the best uh, nightclub spaces in Ireland. It really is. And on D-shirt, um, the venue in the town okay. as well. So if I didn't buy tickets to any of the gigs, but I'm going to other voices, I'm in trouble, am I? A little bit, <laughs> but um, I was like, oh, but usually just bop around and see what happens. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's oh da- damn you, COVID. Uh, it, yeah, it'll be it'll require a little more um organization and planning, and the, these gigs are now sold out as well. But I just think it's it's uh deadly to have um big gigs happening in the town outside of the church gigs as well. Obviously, the lineup is amazing. In the church, Sigrid, Fontaine's DC, John Grant, Mango Matman, Kay Young, uh, Villagers. It's all happening. Uh, Tolly McKay as well. Um, but the, Jonathan Levy. But there's deadly, yeah, she's in the other room and also in the Hillgrove as well. But there's deadly gigs happening there too. So I hope everyone's looking forward to Dingle. Who's going? Um, in other gig news, my fave bit is just a triple threat of gigs happening at the Olympia next week. It's so handy that they renamed it the Three Olympians. No, band, band. <laughs> um, I just, oh God, I just can't with that. Anyway, but uh, kneecap for those I love and Kojak playing the Olympia next week. And you'd be sweating like. Sweating. And my final fave bit is if you are in Navin or the Navin area or want to go to a deadly show, Caged is at the Solace Arts Centre uh, this is a whopper, super energetic, high octane um, show directed by Jenny Jennings. Again, shout out this pop baby. And it's on Friday and Saturday night. So if you're in that neck of the woods and fancy an injection of energy and theatrical bombardment of deadliness, uh, need things to be shaken up, go check that out. And now it's time for... Book of the week. Book of the week. Book of the week. Book, book, book of the week. Book of the week. Book of the week. Week, 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 week. Kind of cheating with book of the week this week because I'm still f- reading Fintan O'Toole's book. We don't know ourselves, which I had as book of the week the week before last. But the more I read it, the more I think. It needs another shout out because um, it's, I think it might be the the best book I've ever read about Ireland. Wow. And it is just packed. Like every page you learn a load of stuff. Uh, everything from urban design to like theatre to all these, ma- like what, I just think like Fintan O'Toole is this way of, first of all, he kind of contextualises a lot of stuff happening in society around the art that was being made. And he is very, very, you know, well, I mean, this is a real understatement. He's quite well versed in theatre and literature. Um, uh, he does lecture in Princeton uh, on such issues. But um, it, it's just so, so fascinating about Dublin, re- about Crumlin as well, where he's from, 
where his parents kind of moved to and how that area was like designed to look um, from above like the Eucharistic cross, like all this like mad shit. And maybe I've missed some coverage of this book, but like, I feel like it should be everywhere. Like people should be, everybody should be talking about it and it should be just like plastered all over the place. Obviously it's popular already and you know, all that kind of stuff, but it really, really, really is good. It's a big book. It's a bit of a beast, but if you fancy something that you want to like really get stuck into or just something you can pick up and put down and read a few pages a day or whatever, or if you're thinking about a Christmas gift, um, and it's really accessible as well. Like it, it's just runs the gamut of so much stuff. Um, so that is the book of the week again. It's Weather. the first time. It's the first time we've got a double whammy. Double dipping on We Don't Know Ourselves. Ooh. So yeah, that's the book of the week. Um, this podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan of Cosway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack and Sarah Fox did all our design. Andrea, you're fresh from the Mancunian rave. And on the wings, where once flew the hacienda and now flies the warehouse project and homo block, what seeds of tuna chicken rollation are you scattering amongst the denizens of Ireland this week? Oh my God, I was actually going to put in We're Never Coming Home by Molly Nilsson because it's an absolute tuna. But then I've just remembered I should probably make it a song that was from the weekend so I'm going to make the uh, the tuna chicken roll this week, Rain Girl by Yeji. Okay, I don't know that. That sounds cool. I'm into that. It's an absolute tuna. I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was Elytrum Gold Diggers. Rain, make it, rain girl, make it. When the sweaty walls are banging, I don't fuck with family planning. Make it rain, girl, make it rain. 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 What if it's just me? Make it rain, girl, make it rain, 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 make it rain, girl,